Welcome to DBPA, the Drunk Bitches Podcast. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sarah. Each episode, we pair a wine with a topic where you get more lip with each sip. So let's get started. But first, pass the wine, bitch. Hey, DB peeps. Welcome to episode 24 to the What's Your Handprint? That kind of sounds like What's Your Sign? What's Your Sign? <laughs> um, we are joined today. This is a really, really special episode because we are joined today with our first unwine related but kind of wine related guest. <laughs> and I'm going to have Sarah introduce her because, well, go ahead. So. We have a special guest today, my friend Ellen, who introduced me to the Meeker wines that we are drinking today and um, went to visit them and is a tribe member, which we'll discuss later. But anyways, um, say hi. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to DVP. Welcome to DVP. Thank you very much. The Drunk much. Bitches podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. You're officially a drunk bitch. I'm very happy to be one. Thank you for having me. <laughs> So Ellen's going to be popping open this one in honor of the episode, and this is the Meeker Handprint Merlot. Yeah, it's their signature bottle. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's beautiful. It's stunning. It has the actual handprints of some of the winemakers. Mm-hmm. Each bottle does. Each vintage does. This is a 2012, Yeah. and uh, they do recommend it to be aged, so I think we've aged it appropriately here. I would um, say so, right? Yeah. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, six years. I mean, some of these wines, they should, like, age for, like, 10 to 20 years. So I think we're totally solid here in this Merlot. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) Yeah! Uh, There we go. All right. Um, So I'm excited to drink this because it is delicious. It's one of my favorites. I'm very happy. And actually, this was a gift from Ellen. It's um, even more appropriate yes. that she's our guest today. Yes, it is. Okay, we're going to get these glasses All right. boring. All right. Glug, glug, glug. And what is our topic today? <laughs> Such heavy pour. You know me. There are now three of us that we need to mm-hmm. <laughs> take care of. Um, our, okay, so our topic today is what's your handprint? So we're going to be talking um, not just about Merlot. I'm sorry. Meekers. Handprint wine, but also about handprints which are probably lesser known or I guess talked about. We often hear about you know your footprint, your carbon footprint, and how we're leaving these footprints on the world today. But there are things that we can do, not just lessen and reduce those footprints, but actually put a handprint. Positive impact. A positive impact, yeah. It's just different positive way of thinking about it instead of thinking about all the negative things. Right. Know. We need some more positivity in this world. We do. Swear. Okay, so. let's cheers to positivity. <gasps> cheers to positivity and hands. Thank you for like joining it. us. Cheers, <laughs> thank you for having me. Cheers. Oh. Mm. Oh, it's just so happy in the glass. It's good. It's good. It's it is good. good. It's good. <laughs> it's good. I think it needs it to breathe a bit. Up. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like it's very... Uh, it's got more tannins than I would expect for a Merlot, but I think that's because it's aged a little bit. So I'm going to let this open up. Apparently, there's a difference. Did you already talk about this on one of your podcasts? The difference between a wood tannin and a grape tannin? Oh, no. Can you please tell us? I we haven't talked today, about it. But I don't know if I remember. <laughs> Something about how they just leave different tannins. I think the wood tannin is in the back of your mouth and the grape tannins on the front. Oh, so like it hits you in different places. It does. And it was interesting. I wish I would have recalled it to be able to better speak to it on this podcast. But I'll look it up because I know I wrote it down. That's like, I like to look up a lot of things during episodes too. So you're cool. So, but, so the wood tannin would come mostly probably from like oaking right. and aging and things like that. that I do but remember. the grape tannin can come both from the skins itself and also from like the stems because sometimes that. that is included um, in the maceration process. So, yeah, I just didn't realize that you could maybe tell which was which by I where that tannin didn't. hits you in your mouth. It's science. Um, so I'm just, you know, kind of like looking around here. I think the wood tannins are uh, more about the oak and they're more about uh, flavor than texture. And the grape is more about texture. So it's more about like the dry kind of, you get that more of that dry feeling. Interesting. You okay. know, 
um, and that taste versus um, the the wood where you kind of get more of that like oaky. Like the baking spice yeah. stuff like yeah. that. Okay, here's something from <clears throat> Wine Anorak. Oh, okay. I don't know what that is. This is from a, actually <laughs> an interview of um, a wine studio that they did with the Meeker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Lucas and Kelly. But we can talk about that later. Um, but this is the wood tannins are considered as hydro... Hydro... Hydrolysable? Sorry, pardon me. Hydrolysable? 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 Meaning they interact with water and are thus softer than condensed grape tannins. Sensation of the two tannins is different too. Wood tannins are toward the front of the mouth. Excuse me, I think I said it backwards before. And grape tannins are towards the back. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Interesting, yes. Okay. Don't just don't put oak chips in your wine, please. Oh my god. We can't talk about. No. Oh, Ellen, you would be yes. Okay. We're not gonna get into it. But that is a way to add wood tannin taste to your wine is by adding oak chips. Don't do that. You're gonna you're gonna have to read this book. Don't don't do that. Don't do that, please. So interesting. So yeah. So okay. So we we've we've already talked about Merlot in episode ten. So I don't think that we need to go down that train. Uh, At least not again, not not now. No. Although I do love me a good Merlot. But let's talk about Meeker because I know Sarah and I actually attended a Meeker wine tasting a couple months ago maybe um, where we stocked up on some delicious wines. But Meeker was something that, I mean, I first learned about when I lived in a place that shall not be named with Sarah. Um, But Ellen, what was your, what, how did you first hear about Meeker and what, sort of drew you to it so how many years ago now (laughs) i'm trying to do math please excuse my hesitation it's 2018 so five years ago ish okay also at vino 100 which is where i believe you did your tasting yes uh, my one of my friends and i were frequent visitors of frequent flyers i was frequent flyers of vino 100 and this is one of her favorites, and so we went, and we would always start with a bottle of handprint Merlot, because one should always start with the most expensive, delicious wine and go cheaper. Sure, sure, sure. That's what it makes sense. Anyway, yes, so. because then you get a little bit, you know, taste blind towards the exactly. end. Exactly. So you first tasted it just at a wine bar? At a wine bar, just something that was recommended by one of the waiters, and it's, I just felt absolutely in love. And then uh, my friends and I, we all decided to go to Sonoma for, mm-hmm. it's over Martin Luther King weekend, okay. Wine Road, which is Sonoma County. It's a event that they put on. They actually have several oh, really? events throughout the year. It's called Wine, the Wine Road is like the all-encompassing, like who's included in it. And then they do, in November, they have a harvest and food festival yes, where they specifically pair foods with wine. And you can go and tour however many. But then in winter, in on Mar- usually Martin Luther King went weekend, they have a... Well, of course, because people get a day, an extra day off. That's why we did it. So we would take Friday <laughs> and then have the Monday. Right. Or take Monday off as well. And then, so four-day weekend. And you they have, like, I don't even know how many participating wineries. It's nothing. Like 50 bucks to participate. And the wineries have... Tons of wine. So we hired a driver for Saturday and Sunday. Oh, my God. Oh, so and you go from winery to winery. And we visited 17 wineries. Holy shit. <laughs> weekend. Sure. All right, that deserves a cheers. Oh, my God. Good for How you. Was that? that was in 2014, so I was younger then. <laughs> that was amazing. Not by much. And maybe. then we still would purchase we purchase wine during the day. And then, and then drink it at night. Multiple bottles yeah. of wine for dinner. At the girl in the fig and how <gasps> I had more. catering from there. Yeah, it was pretty. It was really good. Mm-hmm. So this winter wine land is a really amazing event. I can't plug it enough. Um, in January, involves, mm-hmm. yes, it's around it's, my birthday. It's not super cold, and there is. Um, I mean, it's beautiful out there. The wineries aren't in full bloom or anything because it's obviously well past season, but. Um, and they don't necessarily specifically pair their wines with any food. They okay. have. A lot of food to service a lot of guests, and then they have different wines out to try. And you can, 
as many wineries as you can get to, you can go. And so I highly recommend hiring a driver. You know, drive safely. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like DBP needs to take a trip. Haven't we been talking about them? We have definitely talked about field trips. Yes, this is the time. Yes, I'm. And we had a really great driver that year. His name was Toby. He took us all over. Um, and went all up wherever we wanted to go. I mean, that sounds fun. like the best way to go about it. I know Sarah and I talked about this before, but it's like Sarah tried biking. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that in Napa. Um, Bad idea. I did a trolley. I, tour. I mean, do you could do an organized bike tour. Don't That's still rent. a lot of extra work, and it can get. Don't rent bikes and go out on your own. You want to like. It's very dangerous. So hiring a driver is very is like way to we go. are going to hit these wineries. And what was so cool about our driver was we had like way less wineries we had intended on seeing because we didn't know how many we could hit in a day. Right. These are the ones we want to see. And he was so knowledgeable. He's like, I think we can hit this one and this one and the yeah. in between, and they're here and there. And so we got to see so many more because we had a driver who knew the area. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I mean, basically... Asked us, too. He was very involved. Like, oh, what kind of wines do you like? If you like this kind, then we should go to this winery. He's like a chauffeur sommelier. I know. I wish... Damn. Like, only remember his name is Toby. But he did Toby, if you're listening, Toby, reach out to us. Reach out. You used to work for one size ride, and the next time we went out, you were no longer with (gasps) Toby. Oh, no! We searched for Toby, though. Far and wide. Oh, man. So, okay, so... Toby, this is your calling. As a part of that trip, I should get back you to the story. You went to Meeker. We did stop at the <laughs> tasting room in Geyserville. In Geyserville. Okay. It's in an old bank. It's a super cool room. So it's, it's actually an, okay, so an that old you bank, exactly bank front. Yes. Very so nice. like they have very old wooden panels with like the slots for the people. And they're behind the... the like the teller? Like the, yes, like the tellers. Okay. Yes, thank you. The teller station. They're behind oh God, the line. And they were just pouring away, and we were having such a good time. We were just, ha <laughs> sign us up. But also, Meeker's unique, I think. And I think a lot of wine clubs insist upon you ordering a case or half a case and however many a year, whereas they have a tr- uh, club membership where you can get two bottles of wine four times a year. And oh, it just okay. seemed much more reasonable and totally doable. Sure. So sign and me up. And it's called The Tribe? You're a week- you are a Meeker Tribe member. And why tell is us it the called story. the tribe? I will tell you the story. So, um, upon my re-researching today, just to remind <laughs> myself, when I was indoctrinated into the tribe, um, <laughs> they originally, when they started up, they had a, they had the room. They barely had enough room for their vats of wine and their little, what they called a micro lab. What they were doing to test all their wines out and then when tourism became a little more popular to Sonoma in the 90s people were wanting to take tours and and sit down and have tastings and they didn't have a space for that so they erected a teepee (laughs) a Sioux a traditional Sioux teepee I don't think it was traditional in scale but it was a traditional teepee from the Sioux tribe and they would invite people to come sit and enjoy the wine in this teepee. And so... Did that, like, not make you feel like part of the family? Like, I, mean, I feel it was like very cool. I, 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 didn't, I didn't get to hear the teepee. Oh, but. that's right. Right. I was in the right. bank. but You were in the bank. But if I, mean, I could have been in the teepee, I would have been. I would imagine that that would just make you feel like... It's such an intimate setting, right? So you're not in this, like, big, huge building in space. But it's like... I, you're just like surrounded in a circle by which makes more sense the tribe word right because yes, you're sitting around closer quarters you're not and just so handing just your credit stuck. card over no you're not no and then they're so cute because they have and I wish I could have looked up what it is but there's some ridiculous horn that have you blow <laughs> when you and we looked up the video or I looked up the video today and showed Sarah and Jamie before this podcast started, <laughs> but it's a very fun little thing that marks your entry into the tribe. They're very sweet about it, so you get to blow this old-fashioned horn where you have to crank a crank, and it makes a very loud noise, and, and then you're a tribe member, and they send you a pin, and, wow. and then you get your wine. It's, it's like it's a really official when you do something and they ring a bell. They also <laughs> reduce the cost of your shipments and your wine as you lo- the longer you remember. Oh, wow. Wait, for real? That's for cool. Real. So you officially joined in 2014 then. So yes. you've been a member for four and a half years, right? I have, so I have a lot of pinker wine. Because <laughs> <laughs> for like a year and a half of that, I wasn't drinking at all, so. Oh. Let's start up. Mm. We, we can drink more anytime you guys want. <laughs> What's your... 
I mean, we are drinking the Merlot, which is phenomenal. It's great. Mm -hmm. And I know that Sarah and I had some. What are some of your favorites that Maker offers? This is my favorite, but I also just tried their Verdelot and their Rosé, which were both very good. They have a Rosé? They do have a Rosé. And they also have something, I want to say it was White Elephant. So I will say the Verdello is one that Molly signed for me. Yes. And I love it. She calls it the adult lemonade. It it is delicious. Unfortunately, we didn't open it while it was still summer. That's okay. So (laughs) you can drink you can drink it in the winter and think of summer. There you go. Oh, you know what? We'll just heat up the house and just make it feel like summer. So we'll walk around in (laughs) bands. Stick your feet in them. Sean, somehow we have like a mini pool. Like we can blow it there up you go. and like put a little bit of water in it. We'll just so wear like, sunscreen to get the smell. Yeah, exactly. It'll it'll be a theme party. It'll I wonder if they party. make candles. Sunscreens. Possibly. <gasps> Someone Oh, should. I'm sure that they do. Yeah. Somebody's got to. I can get us some coconuts. <laughs> <laughs> we can drink. It's Wait, for like to wear or to drink? Or to what? Maybe both. I don't know. All I don't know where we're going with this. It could be but both. But a lot of the wines they make, they make very well. They're they very do. good. I will say it was the first time I had a Cabernet Franc, and I actually was like, it smells like green pepper. That's Thanks. the other one I got. And I have, I yeah. never, I guess I've never really had a Cabernet Franc by itself. And so I heard of it, and obviously Cabernet Sauvignon is a sibling of it. But I was like, no, wait, Cabernet Franc is a parent of Cabernet Sauvignon. That's right. But I was like so floored by that. The green pepper. Mm-hmm. It is yes. it is supposed to be a very uh, trait of the cabs. Yep. I usually have a hard time picking it out, but I do agree with that, that wine. With the cab franc, it, it was, yeah. It was amazing to me, and I was like, I must drink this again. <laughs> I do think they pair, they put, they mix their varietals. They do some interesting mixes, I think. Yeah. There's one, I swear this is a meager story, but I apologize if this is a movie. <laughs> But I swear, there is, like, some pairing that they did that was an accident where, like, someone accidentally, like, mixed two vats of their wine. And made. And made a new wine that they always put out now. And I'll have to get back to you so you can mention That could either, I would say that could be, like, either the roller coaster. It's possible. Or I would say maybe the fossil. No. Fossil is out, so never mind. I would have to look it up. I swear there's just a story about someone who maybe... It could have been a movie. But I think that there was... I don't know. We can move on. I'll try to find it. Um, well, so, what I, what's interesting about them, too, is, there, is the story of how they started. So... Oh, here we go. Yeah, I know. Uh, I was like, you took great Yeah, notes. so Molly actually actually did our tasting when Jamie and I went, and we got to kind of hear the firsthand story of how they got started. Um, so I guess, so it's Molly and Charles Meeker. They are a husband and wife pair that started this. Apparently, Charles used to be like president of MGM or some shit like that. He was lawyer turned... Lawyer turned president or CEO president, yeah. or something of MGM. And Molly was also in some role in Hollywood. I can't exactly remember what it I was. I feel like she was in TV. I feel like yes. they didn't necessarily like some sort of reporter. I think. Paths. Yeah. Well, anyways, they met and they got <laughs> married. And in 1977, they bought Sonoma land. It was 98 acres. Um, now they were they were married. So like, I mean, by comparison of today. For what Napa? Oh, it was like one hundred and fifty thousand. It was something like that. Like for the whole thing. Yeah. But Charles bought it without Molly knowing, so he went out with his real estate agent. Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) He went out with his real estate agent like the one time she couldn't go because they had been talking about it because he used to actually make wine at home, Mm -hmm. and the reason wine back then was like not popular. It was like beer and like liquor and <laughs> things like that. Um, but he equated it. Uh, he he really got into wine because he um, used to drink it with his dad. So his dad would bring home a really good bottle of wine every night or every week, and he would sit with his dad and drink this like really good bottle of wine. And that's how he fell in love with wine, and he started making it home. So he had this dream to become a winemaker. So they were looking for like a hobby piece of land 
And he went out one day with his agent on his own and uh, found this wine and called Molly and was like, hey, guess what? We uh, just bought all this land. We got some vines to plant. It's positive. I would be very happy if my husband came home and said, oh, I just bought 98 acres. Right. Right, Exactly. (laughs) And oh, by the way, I got a steal. Well, right. Uh, So that's how they started. And then they started, they didn't start actually making wine until the 80s. Um, But you said, Ellen, something about they were one of the first wineries or vineyards to be doing something and to get certification since Prohibition. On their story on their website, they dis- their Meeker story, the Meeker story, states that they... Now, wait a second. Oh. Um, right now, it's being run by Lucas Meeker, who's their son. Mm-hmm. So he's the head winemaker, and uh, Molly is kind of the... Uh, I don't know. I feel like she's like... Oh, I should have brought her business card because... It has her actual title. She does have an actual title, but she was talking about how, like, she's, like, kind of the consultant, kind of, like, the social person. But she does, like, marketing stuff. She does a lot of marketing stuff. Yeah. In her Um, wheelhouse. And also, which, what is interesting is that Lucas actually is the wine... He does... Uh, grow wine for other winemakers as well, or grow grapes for other... Or does he produce the wine? Wine. Oh. I think he produces the wine. He produces the wine for other winemakers as well. Yeah. Um, So he kind of has his hands in other things. Others. And he's like our age. Yeah, I mean, young. so it's not like he... I love that you just called us young. That makes me so happy. I mean, for like... I, for a real. winemaker, you for know? For a winemaker like, like you, I feel like I always imagine these like older human beings, like 40s, 50s, things like that. But Lucas, I think, is maybe late 20s, early 30s, something like that. And so... But the fact that other wine wineries will actually use him to actually be their winemaker and produce the the full thing, right? Aging, fermenting, aging, all of that. That speaks to, like, what he's actually accomplished in the industry. Yes. Because, I mean, you're not just going to hand all of your grapes and all of your produce and product, like, over to some person that you don't trust. Like, right. I think that's pretty amazing that he has been a part of it for so long and, you know, really has established a great, um, a great reputation uh, amongst the... California wine community. Yeah, so he's been uh, been in the daily operation since 2010, but he's been head white winemaker since 2014. Okay. So it's not even been that long. Okay. Actually, the year you were there. Look at that. Right. There you go. All right. <laughs> um, so this was actually a quote. It's not from their website. I apologize. It was, um, it's from the Swirling Dervish. I've heard of that before. Anyway, so this was a... They did a series on this wine studio thing, hashtag mm-hmm. wine studio that they did, and this was a March 25th, 2017 article. And the person who wrote this article says, as one of the first wineries to receive an operating license after prohibition, ah, okay. the Meeker Vineyard could be considered a member of Dry Creek Valley's Old Guard. Interesting. So, okay. And it is... A testament to a tradition in one of the most respected American viticultural areas. <laughs> Be excited I can say that still. We've had a few glasses of wine. A not couple. Bottles. <laughs> not bottles. Not yet. Gosh, but it sounds like it. <laughs> it happens. It happens. It happens easier than you think. Um, so, okay. So, about this particular wine. So, um, they started putting handprints on the bottle so that everyone would know that it was actually a Meeker Merlot. So, that was like sort of... You know, we talk about labeling, right? And so it's very difficult to look at a bunch of labels on the shelf and you're like, what the hell am I going to pick? Well, this one is gorgeous. It's like rainbow paint, just two handprints, two big handprints on either side of the bottle. And it's, you can't take your eyes away from it. And those are the winemaker's handprints. Yeah. Yes. I think, yeah. Their fall um, shipment is always including. I'm oh. expecting my next shipment. Oh. Which will be Lucas's. <laughs> Lovely. <I'm imagining>. So. <laughs> oh, oh, I can't wait to hear what it's going to be. Um, so it is a classic. Uh, their winemaker notes say that it is dark fruit like currants and cherries, merry on the nose with hints of toffee and caramel. Oh, oh yeah! My God. Yes, yes. Um, keep pouring. Uh, Do so it, it says the wine explodes on your palate with more cherries and hints of 
best strawberry rhubarb pie you've ever had? I've uh, never had strawberry rhubarb pie. I have. I don't get that. You don't get rhubarb? I don't no. know what rhubarb really tastes like. I've had an apple rhubarb pie from Elegant Farmer. I still oh don't get that gosh. in this wine, but that pie is <laughs> the Elegant best Farmer. pie I've ever had. <laughs> Elegant Farmer has some good-ass pie. Well... Apple rhubarb? No, it might have been strawberry rhubarb. Well, whatever it was. Whatever it was, rhubarb. Something in rhubarb pie from Elegant Farmer in East Troy, Wisconsin is probably one of the best pies you'll ever have in your entire life. Oh, shoot. I got to get some for my father-in-law. Okay. And my dad. We digress, as always. Um, It says, there's no shortage of subtle, toasty oak and big, powerful tannins throughout the palate. Okay, so it's definitely more tannic than what I would expect Merlot to be. From the Merlot, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Mm It's good. It's good. It's very good. good. Did you have some with your duck? Not yet. Oh, yeah, we have duck that we're pairing with this. I just, and sausage, and uh, and some kind of like an Asiago type cheese. Yeah. So and some goat cheese. We're, so, we're just we're just trying it all. We're throwing it all in there. But so the other thing, and I, you know, Ellen, when you described that it was Dry Creek Vineyards, um, they this particular bottle is almost always a blend of two what they consider their core Merlot vineyards. So I'm assuming they have multiple kind of scattered throughout. But one is a Dry Creek, which I assume to be the original. Uh, and one in Alexander Valley with around 7% Cabernet Sauvignon, okay, and 7% Syrah blended in to achieve a more layered pro- flavor profile. So this kind of speaks to what Sarah and I talked about in the last episode, how there are requirements that in California it's 75% of grapes in order must be of that varietal in order to call it that varietal, whereas you know other states have different more stringent laws maybe but this one has a small percentage 14% that is just is not Merlot so it's still very high percentage um 86 86% I did math uh and we did mention the ABV it's 14.4% which is okay high alcohol okay yeah yeah so very good um so Lucas talks a lot about this pH balance I've listened to a couple podcasts where he's like been interviewed and, and he talks a lot about pH balance and I think that's part of the soil but also part of the actual wine itself and that's how they measure it. He talks about it in this article yeah. that he has yes. been referencing. I think, so you mentioned the lab that they use and I feel like that, it, they really have found sort of the sweet spot. Is this, yes, low pH equals high acidity. High acidity equals slower. I'm going to say it's aging <laughs> is more stability. Higher acidity plus higher tannin equals more time in the barrel. That doesn't look like barrel. I think that's what he means. Okay, meeker, <laughs> and then it's and then it says meeker style. Ah, and that so. must have been what he wrote because this is what the person who wrote the article said: wines trend lower on the pH scale meaning they have higher acidity, a critical factor in making balanced, elegant wines. Yeah. Use of new oak is extremely limited, allowing varietal character to shine. I like that. Extended maceration Mm -hmm. and cold fermentation help extract highly concentrated phenolic components, especially grape tannins, (laughs) that affect the balance of the finished wine. Alcohol that levels when in balance with other components do not dictate the overall style of the finished wine, and blending is a means to build complexity in wine, not fundamentally changing it. So they take this very seriously. I oh, think. for sure. I mean, props to them, because if they didn't, I think they'd have a shit product. <laughs> true. True story. So, no, I think that I think it's amazing. And so I think that with respect to, you know, we're getting, like, lower pH higher tannin and things like that. I think that, you know, it really kind of, all of it shines through and to what Ellen just read, you know, it creates a very balanced wine, you know, sort of all of these things pulling together, acidity, tannins. Um, wow, I'm like blanking alcohol. on this shit. Thank you, alcohol. <laughs> like, thank you. I was like, what? Um, all of this like really just kind of pulls together and uh, creates a, a great wine in the glass. So happy to be drinking it today. So yeah, for Meeker. Yeah, for Meeker. So we we've got these handprints, 
But what we said at the very beginning is that we talk a lot about, society talks a lot about what your footprint is on the world and what you are leaving behind and these trails of like your stuff. Destruction. Destruction. <laughs> and very negative light. So, right. you know, when we talk about footprints, there's a lot of conversation about how to reduce your footprint and so how to make, you know, certain choices to, to do that. But I think that, um, you know, there was sort of a stumbling upon this other approach where it's, sure, we can talk about, like, how we reduce our carbon footprint and things like that, but I do think some of that is, you know, innate in our society today. But there's this, I'd say, maybe counter-argument or approach. I think it's just a positive, like, a spin, like, to do... Like, you don't have to always think about it in the negative. Right. We can do other things that kind of counterbalance. Yes. They're the benefits of your presence, whereas the footprints are the negative consequences of your presence. Thanks. We don't have to always think so negatively. So how can we, how can we benefit the earth from being on the earth? I think that's what we're we're trying to get at. So in one of the, there was like a video of this, there's a gentleman whose philosophy this is, Greg. Gregory Norris. 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 I thought of Chuck Norris. I'm not going to lie. Um, Round, roundhouse kick <laughs> <laughs> to the face. No, just kidding. Yeah, not really. No. To the face. No, no. In the face. That's what it is. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Off topic. We're <laughs> losing it here. Sorry. Hangover? Anyone? The movie? Yes, but I don't remember. In the name. face. Anyone? No? All right. Um, <laughs> Mike Tice? He's in it. No, it's when, it's, when, it's when the kid tases... Uh, the kid? The kid tases Fat Jesus in the, um, he's like, oh, he looks like Fat Jesus. <laughs> in, in, in the cop. <laughs> okay, I think we need to revisit the cop movie and come back. Okay, this, over. this is being added to our must-watch DVP list. Cause Listen, I've, I've, seen it, have, I've seen it so many times. have a list going. I have seen it. Yeah. I, I have too. <laughs> when the cop is doing the demonstration in the, sc- in the classroom... We what? Okay, all right. All right. right. I do anyway. somewhere. Okay, anyway. So we'll add it to the rewatch list. Anyways, Mr. Gregory Norris is from Harvard. <laughs> uh, that's what I was starting is to he... say. I don't know how many. Okay. Right. Face. Yeah. Norris. Chuck Norris. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> so it's his philosophy, and he addresses the challenge of sustainability. So he's trying to get people to make a net positive impact on the environment. You do have footprints. However, maybe your handprints can actually be greater than your footprint, and that way you can have positive impact on the environment. So that's his theory, and that's kind of what we're getting at over here in the DVP world. So, like, what are things that are footprints that we do negatively? I don't think that's hard to figure out. I run the water when I brush my teeth. Like driving your car. You should not do that. I know, but I warm it up so that I, when I wash my face, it's so warm. <laughs> but I know that is that is leaving a bad footprint. I should stop it. You should turn it off whilst you're brushing. Well, my husband yells at me for it, so. But it's not just like waste. It's like everything we do, right? So everything. Like driving your car to work, driving your car anywhere. Like That's why everybody should work remotely. <laughs> That's possible. Or just like <laughs> consumerism, taking too much of anything, just doing things because you can. You want all the plastic so we use, tons oh, of stuff. All the plastic is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really then, upsetting because there's actually a significant amount of plastic that you can't recycle. I'm like, what the? Mm-hmm. F-? I we went to it doesn't matter, but there's a dump that we had to drive by to get to somewhere we needed to go. Okay, and it's so depressing to see. Yeah. Trees covered in plastic bags. Oh, stop it. Just like because everything just blew away. So it's just like if people, I think, had to live where they had to see that every day, I'd be a I definitely think reminder. that seeing that a few times because it, it was just on the way to a whack where like my kid could play in the right pool or whatever. And so we drove past it a few times this summer and it was just kind of like. Well, that's disgusting because, I mean, I throw away stuff like that and I'm having to drive mm-hmm. past it blowing through the streets because it just blows away from the dump. And it's yeah. just like, 
I think because we are so lucky to have places where trash is carted away, where you don't have to it's see not it, a where it's buried and out of, you know, not really in your public face, where some people just have to like live next to piles of trash. But isn't there, it, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sorry, I don't know which state to compare this to, but I think, isn't there off, like somewhere off the coast of the states or maybe even off the coast of like Hawaii or something further west in the Pacific. Yep. Pacific Ocean. That there's like a trash heap that is a floating island that's like yeah. the size of Texas or well, California. Well, and then they put the art installations I think in Chicago this year of the plastic. They did ocean. at the um at the Shedd Aquarium. Mm-hmm. And it's really the sad part is that it's it's beautiful art and so you're definitely drawn to go look at it, but it talks about how Nothing has been changed. This is lit- all of this has been extracted from the ocean and has like da- I mean it's in the effort to clean up the ocean, but it still like is used to create this art, but it's like look at all these water bottles. Look at these Did you see the flip-flops? There's a whole sculpture made out of flip-flops that have gone astray in the water. Oh wow. And it's I mean they don't disintegrate. That's the thing is like this stuff does not break down. And it's something that, like, okay, oh, I can go and buy a $3 flip-flop. So you kind of are almost programmed not to think about the disposal of it. I can have so many. I don't need to. I can have every color. But you don't. But do you need every color flip-flop? Right. But then don't you think that that has also led to, like, as you said before, like, consumerism, like, we just continue to buy things because we're like, oh, well, everything's, like, so cheap, so it's, like, expendable. So it's, like, I don't really have to take great care of this because I can always just go buy a new one, like, afterwards. It's very much what drives our society forward right now is you want to buy, 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 and have more, more, mm-hmm. more. Yeah. But to you what don't cost? necessarily think about what happens when you have to discard. Right. Right. It's pretty sad. It's true. But that's the there's whole a positive point. thing about the it. The whole point that is we do. we do have our negative footprint, and I think it's kind of hard because I think you get discouraged. If you think about what you do and your impact on the environment and how negative it is, that's what this, I think, professor's whole point is. You're, you're out there in the world just being this negative thing, and then it's like, well, why do I even exist? And his whole point was, well, why we don't want to have to think like that because that's not achieving anything. That's not getting right. us anywhere. Yeah. So his... I think philosophy was bloomed from that. Let's let's try to have a net positive. Let's how do I make the world better while I'm here? What's mm-hmm. my handprint? So it's kind of the antithesis, but like so helping hands, right? Helping hands, helping communities, but yeah. also helping. How how do you make an impact? What do you do that maybe reduces your footprint, but not necessarily just reduces? But what's your positive impact? You've got to add. Not just reduce, I think, as well. Yeah. that's Because, like, when I start thinking about like footprints, that. I'm like, oh, man. Because, like, half the lakes are so polluted, you can't drink the water, you can't eat the fish out of them. Like, I heard you couldn't even go to the Milwaukee, like, Milwaukee beaches and get into the water because of the bacteria content. Yeah. There's been a few beach hazard statements that have been issued. And not just, like, I mean, I'm even talking about the smaller lakes. Like, you can't do anything. Yeah. They, there's, like, I mean, it's all from, like, years of, like, fertilization and all the chemicals just pouring into the water and we're like what are we doing right like that's crazy or even overfishing oceans and things like that like those are still things that you know is negative so anyways what are some positive things we can do i would like to leave my handprint not my footprint i think you're doing one of them okay maybe you're doing a couple of them right now we talked about drinking wine is that it no yeah. Hey, we are using non-disposable <laughs> cups. <laughs> we are. There you go. There's a I huge like anti-straw movement right now. I'm. That is actually, that. I believe, like Starbucks oh, is going to get rid of their yes. yeah. No, they are. Have you seen the video of the turtle that's getting the straw pulled out of his nostril? Oh. It's like one of the most heart-wrenching things you've ever seen, and you're like... I recently went to a new restaurant in Whitefish or Shorewood that opened up right yeah. there, and I was like, okay, hey, you have these plastic straws. Are you going to keep using them? <laughs> did you <laughs> guess that? It did. And they were like, we discussed it. But sometimes non-plastic straws melt in hot drinks, and I was like, well, just don't offer a straw in all the cold drinks. Like, you don't have to give a straw ever. Why People would can you ask for a straw if they must no have shit. a straw? So it was very interesting. They were, they were conscientious of the movement okay. and moving toward 
words and thinking about options for their future. Um, so I think that, because that's something that literally cannot be recycled. It's too small. Isn't that silly? It is silly. That's I mean, the thing. Like, why can't we recycle that? I mean, I don't know anything this about is, recycling. No, no. But. I, I don't either. But it's like, again, I we got in, like, where I live. They delivered these, like, recyclables, like, what you can or cannot. And the end statement was, if you're not sure, don't recycle it. Because it can taint whatever is going into I the recycling. I think it can taint, but it can also... It's too much for the people who are trying to make the recycling place work because hmm. if you put your like oh i really want to recycle the plastic bag i feel guilty about having but there are those gum up the machine they do they do so you have to be really careful like if you put in things that don't that shouldn't be recycled you're you're probably negating the process for other things because it's right. going to mess something up and then but i think that's done. that's so a don't great use point. it as the purpose because i never knew that there was a different way to dispose of um because I'm probably a plastic culprit bags. of that. But plastic bags. But, yeah. like, I store, all, I store all of our plastic bags, and I just drive around with them in my car until I find a place that accepts them. So, so I go next. to, like, our so, grocery yes. store yeah. and Target. Target. Some Targets will do it. Not all the Targets. Some of the Targets will do it. And so that is, like, I just sit there with these massive amounts of plastic bags in my car, and I'm like, where am I going to find this? When am I going to go? When am I going to remember to bring it in? But it's... It's an educational thing because everyone just sort of assumes that, like, all plastics are available and can be recycled. But to your point, they gum it up. It's it's too small. It's it's not going to – it's going to basically ruin everything that's trying to go through. Or styrofoam. It all of, it's going to reduce – we try to make these handprints because recycling is considered a handprint. Right. But, you know, it's like we don't want to sort of muck that up and – Eliminate that handprint that is available to us. So, what other handprints can we do? Well, there was composting. Yes, composting. We can do that. Do you do it? No, I bought a thing, but my husband was all, "I can't have rotting food on the counter." So it's the opposite. Adam's like all about the composting, and I'm like, I'm not sure how I feel about this. But well, I have a little thing. You can have it. It's there. We have it. We have it. It's got a charcoal filter. Um, I did not just, even know. We're religious about taking it out, and I am, like, like really, like, if I even smell anything, which we haven't, then, you know, I get a little bit. But it is for a very good purpose. Well, now that I know that you have a compost pile, maybe I'll reinstate my composting practices there you and go. bring our compost to you. There you go. Oh. You can take it. Could take it outside. So I find your friends who want to compost and share with your do a community friends. compost. There you community go. composting, and also supporting local, supporting sustainable businesses. Oh, because you know why? Totally. Also, that helps. It's not just because like local is healthier, but because you're actually reducing the transport. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole thing that I was reading. Like reducing the transport is actually a benefit too, because if you think about like how long it. The resources it takes to get something from like California to here, exactly, Mexico to here, or whatever. Like it's a lot of like gas and environmental resources and all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, but back resources. to your point about overfishing. I've listened to a recent podcasting about a woman whose career is in spearfishing. Hmm. What? Is extremely interesting and that very is. odd. Like it's it's I very watch cool. This. Um, but she, so she's a spear fisherman, but with the, her point was they have limits on how much they're allowed to fish and then commercial fishermen are allowed to come in and basically do whatever they want. And it's kind of the fault of us in the Midwest who want to have Cause fish. Cause we're land bound. Damn it. We want to have fish that we shouldn't necessarily have access to otherwise. So that's a little that's sad, but think about it. I mean, there's probably some fish that are local. That we can have. You want to fish in the yeah. Menominee River? Well, that's the thing. Well, Again, the Great Lakes are yeah. very okay. close to well, us. They're well, fine. True, but we go back to the whole lake thing around here. Because, like, my husband's family has a lake house. It's on one of the biggest lakes in Wisconsin. If you look at the book, like, women of childbearing age should only have, like, one of the fish oh, out of there right. two a mm-hmm. month. Because, because of the top. The toxins, like the actual... Is it the mercury levels? Is that one of the big things, too? That's more like like tuna and ocean. This is more like toxin... Like, I'm not even kidding you guys. There was, like, areas of the lake where there was, like... You could see, like, the green 
like toxic algae. Oof. It was disgusting. But that's a huge thing that they're talking about with, like, because like we fish all the he catch he caught catch. We're supposed to be focusing on the positive. I know. I know. Fish. <laughs> but I'm saying we you can do things to help fix that problem, right? Right. So there's all these campaigns that are now trying to get rid of that toxic algae and like. To, to make the waters better. And so, like, then, yes, we should be, like, doing our lake trouts and, like, eating all those things instead of, like, sure, I'm sure you could have a sushi place here and there, but yeah. it's just not, like, a huge thing. So, or you have to, instead of flying in your fish, you have to fly to your fish. There you go. <laughs> I mean, but flying to your... Hmm. I don't know. That I might know. balance out. But I don't know. But the one okay, so a couple so getting back to as you you said the positives. Yes. Not talking about the negative things. So okay, so handprints represent the benefits of your presence. They're the positive changes that you bring into the world during this same year. If footprints are what we unavoidably take, handprints are what we intentionally give. And no, I did not just come up with that on my own. I wish I was that smart. But Okay, so when we think about that, you know, one thing, Ellen, I think that we were talking a little bit before, you know, we, we think a lot about how it's very environmental impacted, but that's not necessarily true, not necessarily true with right. handprints. Because with handprints, it can actually be outside of the environment. And that's, I think, probably where we all immediately go to because there are so many messages, you know, even like the anti-straw movement and things like that. But... If we're talking about like doing something positive for the community, it doesn't have to be environmentally focused. It can be right. human to human focused, right? And I think that you had mentioned that you had read some sort of article about how they were sort of trying to instill this in in children, even, right? To make a difference. Right. There's a handprint organization, I think. Um, it's actually kind of hard to find. It's not like the first thing that pops up on Google when you Google. Come on, Google. Google will first tell you about how you can make your child's handprints in a little, you know, oh, play shut the fuck thing. Up. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't really mean to tell you to shut up, but like, uh, no, no, that's no. Ridiculous. Um, Damn but, it, Google. But this handprint organization—it's a—it's—it's it's this whole philosophy that we're discussing and. It's instilling it in children that they can make positive impacts, that they can do things, that they can make changes instead of telling, especially kids who want to learn and don't necessarily you want to frighten and scare off of, yeah. oh, if you do this, then this bad thing is going to happen. Like, if you run the water while you brush mm-hmm. your teeth, child, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, but instead, what can they do don't to be me. the positive thing? Yeah. Like, I think that kids are more, people, people, kids, people are more encouraged by what they can do than what they should not do. No one right. wants to be told what to do. But, hey, you could do this awesome thing and it might benefit something. Mm. That, that might be a little more inspiring. So I think that that's what the goal of this organization is, and um, and what's it called again? I think it's hand handprint <laughs> handprint dot in. I will double check that as we're talking. But some of the things that I saw, and they had like <coughs> programs to talk about what you can do and like how to store grains and how to actually even just the cooking things like it you should wet your grains before you heat them up so that it takes less fuel to heat them so it's like these are like this is something that's all over the world not necessarily just in north america so it's a little different i think what you focus on using led lights with something using you know different things um but it's turning off the water when you brush your teeth is that one? I know, but my <laughs> child, I will tell you that if you have a little kid that wants to take a bath and really enjoys turning the faucet on, and I'm sitting hard. there cringing because I hate wasting water, but you're also having this child that's just a, totally delighted by every time the water's running. No. So it's you're like, yes, go ahead. Um, uh, other things you could... Uh, Print on two sides of one paper. I know we mm-hmm. don't think about that very often, but... But do you ever think at your job how much paper. energy and paper and everything is wasted? Mm-hmm. It's so horribly depressing. So positive impacts. So reusing paper, even if you print on one side, mm-hmm. putting it back in the printer and using it again later, yep. making sure that things that aren't yeah. 
depending on where you work, if it is sensitive, it gets incinerated, but if it's not, making sure it goes to an actual recycling instead of going to the incinerator. Turn the lights off when you leave the room. Yes. That's a big thing. It's a big I'm one. I'm unplugging things when you're not using them. This is also mm-hmm. a thing. Mm-hmm. And I, it's funny because I get like so irritated because sometimes I'll go to, um, sometimes I'll go to like my, um, like Sean, Sean will like just leave like random like lights on like in closets. And I was like, sir, are you done? Are you done in this room? What? Turn this off, please. And like, I also think, you know, it's like, I have sat there now that it's starting to get colder when I know it's not going to eventually get over 70, like two degrees, I'll start opening all of my windows in my apartment because I want to reduce some, somehow like the energy that's actually used and I'll turn off the lights if it's sunny out so that, you know, I open all the blinds and like create my own like sunlight and stuff like that. But I feel like we can't do that in all of these places that we go to because it's, yeah, it's unfortunately, not ours, you know. Right. But I feel like we as a society need to be a little bit more conscious about that too. And well, going back to what we were talking about earlier, being so disposable, other things you can do is not if you if it's not broken, don't throw it away. If mm-hmm. you need something, is it something that has to be brand new? Can you get it? second hand right mm-hmm. is it something that you absolutely just have to have mm-hmm. really thinking about your consumerism do you need it because you need it do you need it because you want it do you need it because it's the newest latest thing and you just have to have it because someone said that's usually what it. it is exactly so um that organization if we want to go back to that this handprint thing is n-a-a-e-e dot org North American Association for Environmental Education. Oh. Handprint Positive Actions Toward Sustainability is the organization. I like it. Whose motto is, through our actions, we add substance and vigor to the quest for sustainable living. Oh, wow. That's powerful. So it's like Habitat for Humanity. Would that be a handprint? Because I've given to them before. Like, for example, an old water heater, instead of throwing it away, I donated that and that kind of thing. But I would think that you're taking all these pieces of houses that, like, I don't know, maybe aren't usable anymore or whatever. In your trying, house. In your right, house. And right. trying to create a home that for someone. Sounds, that sounds a little bit more like handprints. I know that Habitat for Humanity, who does, well, like, building the things, garbage those are. Hmm? It didn't go to the dump. Right, it right. didn't so go to the dump. that is a thing. A thing. Yeah, but I'm so. not sure if that is more. Uh, I feel like that's more handprint than reducing a footprint. You're contributing to someone else being able to reuse that exactly versus it just being something that you threw away. And I think sometimes we throw things away because it's just easier. You just don't want to have to drive to donate it. You don't want to have to find someone to pick it up and take it. And that's that's the hard road is to find you, someone who else can who can oh use yeah. it for like, you. Do you want to hear something ridiculous? I'm so sorry because I'm still a little heated about it. I was in my parking garage at my apartment the other day and in our recycling bin our recycling bin I saw a wooden like fucking dresser. Somebody, I don't know how, were, was able to actually put it inside the recycling bin. I'm like, that's oh, not that's recyclable, a, that's, that's you ridiculous. asshole. That's ridiculous. And that's something that easily could have been call Habitat Restore for Humanity. Come please pick Exactly. It up. And it's like, you, you're getting rid of this and it's like a completely viable like thing. I mean, come on. Right. So, and and so it's, yeah. you might be done with it, but said person might not be done with it. Like, somebody else might find that one one person's trash is another person's treasure, right? It's true. I mean, it's one of those things where I could not believe it, and then shortly thereafter, we everybody in our apartment complex got a nasty gram about what you should or should not put into the recycling bin. And I was like... Rightfully so. I, you know what? I almost wrote a ridiculous note and posted it on there myself, so I'm glad it came from somebody else, because I'm inclined to write nasty notes. Um, but... It's still one of those things where it's like, do people, have people actually grown up and thought, this is how I'm going to dispose of my shit? Like, I'm just going to throw everything But that's the thing. It's very difficult. No one's necessarily raised to care very much anymore. That's a good point. You're not thinking about, it has nothing to do with whether or not, 
Because I said, you're not driving past the dump. You don't have any idea where this is going. You have no idea what's going to happen to and it. And you even said that that one, that organization that you mentioned, it wasn't even, it was like difficult to find on Google. It wasn't right. even the first it's, thing that popped no, up. This isn't, it, and we need to Google handprint, which I think is a really good way to think about it. Instead of thinking about all the negative things you do, what can you do that positively makes you feel good about the fact that you mm-hmm. exist? Mm-hmm. Versus what makes you feel crappy about the fact that you're taking up space on the planet. If you want to feel positive about it, this is a great way to do it. But if you Google it, it's all about pictures of handprints or (laughs) handprints that kids put. And it's very cute and it's wonderful. But there's apparently a lot of information out there about this movement of positive impact on the environment. And so I think it's a lot to consider. Hopefully that just keeps growing and yeah. that people like the next generation will be able to focus well, even on our generation. Friends. I Hopefully mean, our millennial generation. I mean, I feel like that we're, we're becoming aware. We have access to all of the information that we need. It's just a matter of like whether or not we like take action on it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that it's up to us to sort of like pave the way maybe and say, look, we want, we want life to live long, long beyond our years. And so the only way to do that is to actually start making a positive impact on the world and actually taking through, taking some steps in order to accomplish that and then teach those younger than us and teach those around us to do the same. I agree. I think that that's a good segue into the quote one of you put. Which one? Oh, I know which one it is. Yes. Um, Say it. Okay. I think this is from our friend Greg. (laughs) Norris. The not Chuck Norris. The not Chuck Norris. Norris. (laughs) The possibilities are endless because our creativity is unlimited. The key is to begin. But before you act, reflect. Take the time to breathe in deeply and realize, wow, I can actually do this. I can be a healer of the environment. We can. And feel grateful that this is true. I think that's a perfect summary of you can be positive towards your what you can do for the environment and for the world and for your yeah. community, for each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Kumbaya, everybody. While you enjoy your handprint, make your Merlot. Yeah. That's right. So, I mean, you can be doing good things for the world while drinking wine, right? And recycling the wine bottle after. Always. Yes. And not using too much water when you wash your wine glasses. <laughs> and, and, and... <laughs> Using actual wine glasses and not plastic wine glasses. There you go. I mean, who drinks plastic? Anyway, well, there's the people who do red solo cups. Yep. Some people come to mind who are like germaphobes, and it's like, well, just use really hot water. I mean, yeah. Okay, sorry. I'm not, I can't even go down that road. Steam. Hot steam. It burns. That's why anyway. you wear gloves when you wash wash dishes is because the water gets super hot, at least in my house. But Well, I just decided to burn myself, but that's fine. I burned myself. I was like, how can you even touch this water? I'm like, it's like skill. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we are going to leave, hopefully, our DB peeps with a very positive sentiment that we can all go out and do something positive to impact the world and make our own handprint. handprint. <laughs> yep. Drink meager wine and leave your handprint. <laughs> Bitches. Bitches. Cheers to that. Thank you for joining us, Ellen. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform to help spread the DBP word. Check out our website and blog at dbpcheers.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dbpcheers or on the Drunk Bitches Podcast Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you, so send your questions, comments, and fun wine or topic ideas to dbpcheers at gmail.com. Until next time. Cheers Cheers from from the the girls girls of DBP.
Hey, true crime fans. Have you listened to Wine and Crime yet? We're a true crime comedy podcast hosted by three childhood friends who chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash our worst Minnesotan accents. Each week, us gals pick a true crime topic and pair it with a delicious wine before delving into the background and psychology behind the crime. Then we share and speculate wildly about a couple of bonkers cases related to the topic. Past episodes include necrophilia, cults, Crimes of passion, cruise ship disappearances, exorcisms gone wrong, all this over a bottle of wine, or let's be real, three. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wine and Crime Pod, and check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. Cheers! Cheers.